It's good to see all of you this morning. I know it was a little tough to get out of bed. Man, my wife had to just nudge me a couple more times just to get me to move. Hey, uh, I just wanted to reiterate our schedule. We got three Christmas Eve services that are taking place at 2, 4, and 6 o'clock. And we would like you to sign up for it just so that we can be COVID sound. But let me just say, if you invite a friend or at the last minute you decide you're able to come, do not not come because you haven't signed up. And do not not invite somebody because you couldn't figure out how to use the app or or any difficulty that you had. We just wanted to be as, as you know, accommodating to the, the current crisis that we're in and try to be as safe as possible. But either way, we want you here. And then on summer, Sunday 27th, um, I just decided that the staff here at Crosstown has been, and the ministry support team that's around us, which is amazing, um, I just decided they needed to be off on the 27th. And so I'm just, you know, go home, be with their families. So we will be online only. I already know what that message is going to be about. And let me encourage you. Join us at our, on our YouTube channel, our Facebook channel, our Vimeo, wherever you get it from or on our app on the 27th. That will be a great time, but it will be online only. And then January 3rd, we'll be back to normal and kicking off 2000. 21. Yeah, that just sounds so good. Doesn't it just adding a 21 on the back and just getting 20 out of here? You know, uh, there are a lot of stories during the Christmas holidays. Jenny mentioned uh, Elf. I have never seen Elf. Is it worth seeing? Anybody? Is it? Is it better than the other guys, the, the other Will Ferrell movie or Talladega Nights or whatever? I mean, so I've heard Elf is just like, like really good. So we all kind of have our favorite Christmas movie. And during one of our Bible studies, uh, Josh and I do it with Deanna on a Wednesday. Wednesday night is called Resolute Heart, and you can join us online. But we got in an argument last time. I mean, it got, it got pretty heated. Uh, you know, I... I had to apologize afterwards. You know, there was, uh, we came to blows and, um, and, you know, we had to make up afterwards. But we were talking about what was the most, imp- if all the Bibles were stripped from the earth at Christmas time and, and we had to tell the Christmas story or the Christmas story was going to be presented to the world, which Christmas movie would do the best job of presenting the Christmas story? And so we got into a very heated argument, um, and uh, I immediately went with a Christmas carol from Charles Dickens, you know, or something that came from an Englishman, you know, and that it, it you know, would be the perfect one. And um, so I, I thought that Josh was going to give me something from the original, you know, Greek or Latin. You know, he, he just, that kind of guy, he's got a sensitive heart towards the things of God. He loves the original story. So I thought, you know, maybe a story by St. Augustine or some great Bible. T- but he decided that the Grinch was the greatest Christ-like story on the earth. So that if the apocalypse was to happen today, this man right here will be handing out copies of the Grinch for you to get your life back on track again, okay? Just wanted to let you know. Well, while we were in the middle of all that, uh, well, the Tedster, known as the uh, Sith Lord here at Crosstown, 
um, he said we were both wrong and said the Charlie Brown Christmas was the best Christ-like story. So what we decided to do is we were going to have an argument right in front of you. Uh, we, I'm going to let these gentlemen have five minutes each to present their argument on why their Christmas story should be the number one story, and then I'm going to let you guys vote which one you think it's, it is, okay? So we're going to, um, you know what? We're going to mix it up this time. We're going to let Josh start off on this service, and let's see what he can do with the Grinch. All right, let's give it up for Josh. All right, all right, all right. Well, I know, I know it's unconventional, right, that the Grinch would be considered a redemptive story. But hang in, you know, lean in close, listen up. I might be able to convince you at the end. So those of you that know the Grinch uh, know that the story begins with the Who's down in Whoville, right? They're super stoked about Christmas. They're super excited. They're doing all kinds of things, decorating, getting together. They're throwing feasts. They're, you know, hugging and singing and everything involved and definitely, you know, celebratory practices that would not be uh, 2020 approved uh, due to COVID-19. And then there's the Grinch, the villain in the story, which the book says nobody knows really why he hates Christmas so much. But then the author goes on to say that it might just be due to the condition of his heart. How many of you guys know that the condition of your heart might have been different before you met Jesus and before your redemptive story? It says that the condition of his heart was two sizes too small. So then the story goes on to talk about just why the Grinch hates Christmas. I mean, he, it goes on and on about all the celebrations, the singing, the laughter, all the good times that the Who's down in Whoville have. And so he decides that after 53 years, that's a very specific number, by the way, 53 years he's, he's dealt with it and he's had enough. I'm going to do away with Christmas once and for all, Right? So he hatches this plan, this wonderfully awful plan, it says. And what he does is he dresses up as Santa Claus. He dresses up his little scrawny dog, Max, to be his team of reindeer. And he gets a sleigh, and he goes at night while all the Who's down in Whoville were fast asleep, and he steals every decoration, every present, Everything in their refrigerators, it says that he did not even leave a crumb enough for a mouse. Now, up until now, you know, this is a fun Christmas story and, and you know, you have a good time watching it and it doesn't really strike a redemptive chord. But the next part is where the redemption begins. And so what happens after he loads up his sleigh, he, he, his dog, Max, yeah, proves that he's not so scrawny because he pulls the giant sleigh up a hill back to the Grinch's lair. And the Grinch gets out of his sleigh and he waits for morning where he expects to hear the wailing, the moaning, the crying, the anger down in Whoville. But what does he hear? He hears a little sound. He gets a little bit closer 
opens his ear a little wider. And it's the sound of singing that he hears. And so begins the redemptive story with forgiveness from the Who's down in Whoville. You see, this, this act of singing, it strikes such a chord with the Grinch that it begins to change him. You see, the, the, the Who's down in Whoville are singing even though everything was gone. He stripped everything away. And that reminds me of a story that we read in Acts where Paul, the apostle, and his, his friend Silas, they're in the colony, the Roman colony of Philippi, and they're doing all kinds of miracles, casting out demons. But then what happens? They get arrested. They get stripped of everything they own, their clothes on their back even, and they're beaten and put in prison. And it says in the innermost parts of the prison where it's dark and they're alone. But what happens next? Scripture says that the prisoners around begin to hear something. And what is it? It's Paul and Silas singing praise to God. Now, this strikes such a chord with the Grinch that he takes the sled and he, on his way back to Whoville, he's contemplating just why these people are singing. And he begins to understand that it's more than about the presence. It's more than about himself. It's more than about just the who's down in Whoville. Christmas is about much more than that. It's about redemption. And what happens when he gets to Whoville? The who's are angry at him and point the finger and say, give me back my stuff. No. The who's down in Whoville take it a step further as Jesus would. And they not only forgive him, but they give him the, guest, the seat of the guests of honor at the table of the feast. And the book ends by saying, it is he, the Grinch, that cuts the who roast beast. He, he's considered the host. He's considered the guest of honor. And so that takes me back to scripture. And, and we've probably all heard of the parable of the two lost brothers and the good father, otherwise known as um, the prodigal son. He too, the young boy, as he comes back, is given his father's ring. He's given the guest of honor treatment. And they throw a feast where his father slays the fattened calf. And Jesus in Revelation talks about dining with him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, then I will come in with him and dine with him. And who knows? It might just be who roasts beasts that's for dinner. All right. All right. It was all right. You know, kind of, you know, yeah, you got us there. You know, it was a long sleigh ride, but we got there. Um, no, but it was good. I, I, I see the merit in the story. So uh, let's, uh, let's see what Ted's got. Good morning. Good morning. Everything I do is a disaster. Everything I touch gets ruined. 
Have you ever felt that way? Because Charlie Brown does. It's the silent soundtrack that plays constantly in his head. One year he's picked to direct the annual Christmas play. And he can't believe it. He's like, me? And what he's saying when he's saying me is like, surely you want somebody else to do this, somebody better than me. And the other kids know it too, because as soon as they find out that he's directing the Christmas play, one of them says, this is going to be the worst Christmas play ever. So Charlie Brown, he, he, gives it, he gives it a good try, but he can't command the respect of the other children. And they end up doing more dancing than they do rehearsing. And with that peanut song, I can't really blame them. But uh, so he decides that, okay, well, what I need to do here is I need to set the mood. I need a Christmas tree. So him and his friend Linus, blanket-toting Linus, head out to the Christmas tree lot to find a tree. And there are all these beautiful, tall, big, strong trees. But Charlie Brown's attracted to this little sapling, this little nothing of a tree. And he says, I think it needs me. And I think it's because Charlie Brown sees himself in that tree. So he takes the tree back, and it earns him the immediate ridicule of his friends. They say, man, you've done some dumb things before, Charlie Brown, but this, this is the worst. You are hopeless, completely hopeless. Has that ever been spoken over your life? And Charlie Brown's like, well, what are we doing here? What is this even all about? What is, what is Christmas even all about? And it's Linus who provides the answer. Linus, blanket in hand, goes to the center of the stage, and he recites the encounter between the angels and the shepherds out of Luke 2. Now, this whole time, the kids have been trying to get Linus to let go of his security blanket, but he won't. But when Linus gets to verse 10, the angel says, fear not. And at that exact moment, Linus drops the blanket. You see, Charlie Brown was afraid that he'd fail. But the birth of Jesus separates us from our fears. Charlie Brown didn't have a blanket, but he had this self-loathing identity that he had wrapped himself in, that he put his security in. The birth of Jesus allows us to drop the false security that we cling to so, so much. So Charlie Brown's emboldened by what's happening. He's emboldened by the words of Scripture. He goes outside. He's like, I'll show them. I'll show them this tree is good enough. And what he's really saying is, I'll show them I'm good enough. And he takes it outside, and he goes to Snoopy's prize-winning decorations. He takes a single ornament, and he puts it on the tree. And the poor little tree just can't take the weight, and it falls over. And Charlie Brown bows his head and says, everything I touch gets ruined. But Linus sees a different story in the tree. Linus looks at it, and he says, I never thought it was such a bad little tree. It just needed a little love. See, God sees our brokenness and our weaknesses, and he says, I never thought you were such a bad little tree. You just needed a little love. You needed my love. God never gives up on us. God doesn't hold our weaknesses against us. At our lowest points and our toughest struggles, he knows our true potential. So Linus wraps his blanket around the tree to give it a base, and the kids take all the ornaments off of Snoopy's house, and they decorate it up, and it's absolutely beautiful. And Charlie Brown can't believe the transformation. He's like, wow, it's incredible. And they start singing. Now, you would think at this point the obvious choice for a song here would be, Oh, Christmas tree. But that's not what they start singing. See, the focus is no longer the tree. The focus is bigger than the tree. The focus is Jesus. And they break into Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Love, community, and the true meaning of Christmas can turn a not-quite-good-enough, never-going-to-get-it-right, hopeless blockhead like Charlie Brown into someone who can, who can inspire other people to worship 
just like the shepherds who were told to worship after they were told to fear not on that first Christmas so long ago. A Charlie Brown Christmas is a story of redemption. It is a story that reminds us of the healing power of love. This Christmas, may you remember that you are complete in God's eyes. May you remember that God sees past your brokenness and sees your true potential. All right, all right. I'm starting to get the feeling that I'm not going to have a job in 2021. That was absolutely phenomenal, Ted. That was absolutely great. Let's give it up to, for our two guys and their stories. Yeah, I, you know, a, a Christmas carol for me is just, it just happens in the beginning of the story when we're seeing Jacob Marley's funeral. And after they put him in the ground, they're back at the rectory, and a few of them are talking, and, and uh, they talk about how dead Jacob Marley is, and Scrooge points out that he is as dead as a doornail. And they begin to have this conversation in the book about how objects can be more dead than other objects, and that, that the doornail is the most dead of all ironmongery uh, of things that are dead. You see, Scrooge sees the human soul as something as, as dead apart from something material. He sees, apart from the material iron and gold and copper and silver, he sees the human soul as something that is as dead as a doornail. See, he has a problem of valuation, of figuring out what gives the human soul value. And throughout the story, we see the unpacking. We see even the difficult and hard lessons that he has to learn to realize that his own soul has value. So as we've been learning about being a learner and lover and leader, we are learning that each of us has a story. And this, on, on Christmas Eve, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the stories in these movies, but... Today, I just want to talk a little bit about the authors of these stories, because that's what you are. You're an author of a story. Now, your story is a short story. No matter if you've been living 85 years, it's still a short story compared to the eternal story that God gives us. But just like Charles Schultz, Theodore Seuss Giesel, and Charles Dickens, our lives tell a story. See, all these authors decided that each of them would tell a story that would reflect and, under and communicate the love and the grace of God to the people that were hearing it. They decided to pen a story that people would just get it. Now, it didn't have a chapter and a verse associated with it, but it was spoken in the language that they knew that people would understand. Decades later that when that story, whether it's the Grinch or whether it's Charlie Brown or the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, they knew that we would get it. They knew we would understand something about it. See, the goal of the Christian life is to tell a story that the redemptive themes of Christ can be seen, heard, and explained through. See, we're all authors of a short story. We're all communicating a story. No matter where we are in life, we all are communicating a story. 
The question is, is can the redemptive story of Christ be heard in the story that's being told by our lives? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 4, 9. Paul said, what you have heard and received, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. It's like, now, this is an amazing statement because uh, Paul's talking, like Josh said, this is a Roman colony, and he's talking to a, a group of people who don't know the Hebrew stories. They don't possibly know about uh, Jacob and Moses and Abraham and all those different stories. They probably don't know Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, they don't have a copy of a Bible that's just been printed off a printing press. So they don't have any copy. So, so he's got this whole group of people together and he's trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I get these guys to walk in a way that Christ will be honored and that will bring blessings to their lives? So he says this, he says, hey guys, let's do this. What you've, uh, what you've learned from me, what you have received from me, what you've heard and seen in me, let's do that. Yeah, let's, let's do that. I mean, can you imagine that he lived such a life, the thread of the gospel that was written in that one story of Christ was so a part of his story that when a Bible couldn't be found and when Hebrew was not learned and when Moses wasn't known and, and, and these folks did not grow up in a church like today, we have a culture that's not grown up in church. He said, listen, read me, read my story, take a look at my life, take a look at how I'm doing, take a look at how I interact with God, how I live Christ, because just like Schultz and, and uh, Seuss and Dickens, he wove so much fabric in, of the original story into his story that we all could get it. That's what God's like. That's what church is like, the people of Whoville. That's what church, I mean, isn't that crazy? You would think I'd pull out the book of Ephesians and tell you what church should be like. But the people of Whoville so typified what church should be like, if we lost our Bibles, I would be very confident to say to you from the original story, um, okay, you wonder what church should be like, um, how we should treat people of different lifestyles than ours, people who are different color than ours, uh, people who believe differently than us. Hmm, um, can you imagine me handing you a Dr. Seuss book? You know, I'd be, but I would be so confident handing you that story because there's so much thread of the original story still in it that you would get it. I love it. Practice the things that you've seen in me. And he says, and the peace of God will be with you. I cannot overstate the power of a dad and a mom who are exemplifying the th and bringing the threads of the original story into their lives. We all, we all want peace on, on earth for our family. We all want our marriages, our dating, our, our workplaces. We, we want everything around us. We want the peace of God in our lives. 
Well, look how Paul says that the peace of God arrives, or one of the ways that the peace of God. He says, live your life, your short story, with so much uh, verse and line and thread of the original story, and the peace of God will be upon your heart. What an incredible thing, that the peace of God would be upon their hearts. See, the gospel is the one story that all other stories radiate from. Uh, it's not coming up with a lot of different stories, but rather, I, I kind of view it this way, it's like spokes in a wheel. It's that my story is not some independent spoke outside this circle of wheel, but rather my story is connected to an axle. And your story is connected to an axle. And, an and another person's story is connected. And they're all connected to the axle to the point we end up with this infinite amount of, of points uh, all are wrapping, wrapped around, and it becomes this thing called a wheel. And then the wheel of the carriage begins to bear weight of the, of the troubles of the world. See, the world needs the story to be presented in our lives. Your kids need to see Pop, Dad, with the thread of the original story in his life. Your, your home needs Mom to have parts of the original story in her life. Our culture needs the original story in its life. I love what Paul said. He said, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. See, you're supposed to be known and read by all. So the, the really big question at Christmas time is what are people reading about you? He knows how to handle his liquor. He knows how to throw a party. He really gives good presents. She really can cook a good meal. That's really a nice Christmas tree. We really had a good year in business. I mean, what is the story that people read from your life? And, and then the other question is this. Do you have enough of the original thread, the original story in your story so that if dad or mom, you were the only, you never got your kids to church and culture never came here, would they get enough of the story and be like, I, I think I know where that story's from. See, there was really nothing original in the life of the, these gentlemen that wrote these stories, but, but it was the Christ story woven into their own personal lives. Paul goes on and says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He said, that's what you are. The, 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 the world doesn't need um, a better Bible. I, mean, I had to make sure I wasn't saying anything that would get me in trouble. But it doesn't need a better Bible, okay? It really doesn't. It doesn't need gold leaves around it or put in the current English even better. It, you know, it, it doesn't need that. It, it needs the story, that the original story of Christ and, and God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It needs it written on our hearts. 
It needs to be read by us. It needs to be read by the people that are around us, that we have enough of the story in us that people can be like, oh, yeah, I get it. I mean, I remember when Lord of the Rings came out, and this is the anniversary of the, I forget what, what anniversary this is. It's like the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings coming out. And you know what? You saw Lord of the Rings, and you, once you got that story in you, the first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, the second one came out in previews. If they didn't even put the title on there, what would you say? Yep, there's uh, Lord of the Rings Part Two, uh, or Peter Jackson, you know? And, and, and it's funny, from that point on, every movie, I mean, Peter Jackson can't even do King Kong without it being six hours long and having an extended version. I mean, he's just, that's what he does, but I can look at a Peter Jackson movie and go, what? that's Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings guy, because he's got that thread in his life. But the challenge for us today is, is not to get all of our shopping done, not to put the casserole in front of everybody, not to make sure the house and the tree is just perfect. The, the real challenge for us is, is the story being heard? And you may not get your 40-year-old son to sit down and read the Christmas story with you at 7 a.m. and tell him, don't open your presents until we read the Christmas story. Now, you can pull that off with a seven-year-old, but you can't pull it off with a 40-year-old. Well, how will he hear? How will she hear? They'll read it right off of your heart if enough of the story is there. See, the believability of God is something that I've always wrestled with. I mean, the believability of him. I was like, can I really believe in him? And, and all of my life, even as a pastor, I have struggled with the believability of God. And, and so I went to certain places to get more believability. I, I had to uh, study uh, the scriptures to find out more about what he was supposed to be like. I would read scholarly works about can I trust the Gospels and how do I know that they are really eyewitnesses of this event that took place. Um, I turned to philosophy to see if it philosophically made sense or it, that it was the kind of the crown of all philosophies did this. When I look at the world, is this the philosophy that seems to represent the world around me? Um, but one of the biggest places I went was science. It's like, what about the empirical data? I mean, does it, does it make sense on what we know about the universe, what we know about biology? Does this whole God story? And so I went out there and, and really, yet very little bit of my community was doing this, but more I could go to these um, uh, depositories of, of knowledge and kind of gather it together and kind of come up with this believability quotient of God. But here's the thing. Today, people aren't interested in empirical data. Nobody's asking me scholarly questions about the authenticity of the four Gospels. Nobody's asking me about evolution or the creation of the universe or being the Big Bang Theory. People aren't looking for scientific proofs. They are just like Charlie Brown in search of a believable story that gives them value, a real, true story that gives them value. They are just like Scrooge, who discovers that his future is bankrupt and that his soul 
is in foreclosure without something more valuable than gold. They are just like the Grinch in need of a beloved story, a community of people, a Whoville, that they can slide down out of the adversities of their life and find safety and belonging in community. See, when we, just like these authors, live out the, the, the story of Christ, when we bring the thread of the eternal story into our short story, people begin to read. The Grinches of the world, the Scrooges of the world, the, um, the Charlie Browns of the world may never pick up a Bible and flip through to John chapter 1 or John chapter 3, verse 16. But they will read our lives. And, and the challenge for me this Christmas is, did I get Susan everything? You know, I, I know the answer to that's no. You know, I'm not even sure she's going to like what I bought for her. It made sense to me, but I don't know if she's going to be as excited about it. But the real challenge is, can she read the story of Christ for my life? So which one of these stories won? Let, let us kind of think, okay, uh, which one of you uh, say the Grinch, out of the three stories, the Grinch was the best redemptive story? Let me see your hands. Okay, 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 not, okay, all right, that was not bad. How about uh, the Charlie Brown story? How many of you, well, whoa, Charlie Brown story. I'm not even going to ask about the other one, all right? Well, I'll tell you, last service, Charlie Brown won hands down. Um, so which one of them won? They all won. See, they, every character in the story needed the language spoken in their language. See, the Charlie Brown story would have been mocked by Scrooge. You know, he'd care less whether or not anybody likes his tree or not. Remember his sign outside his store, uh, outside of his accounting shop? who had been rusted, and he'd even bother to fix it. He didn't care about the accoutrements or, or anything like that. That story wouldn't have made sense to him. And the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and money and all that other stuff would not have spoken to Charlie Brown or to the Grinch. See, Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus in Zacchaeus' language. What did God say? What was the deep theological tenant that came? I mean, the Bible recorded the story of Zacchaeus for a reason. Okay, what was the big theological tenet that came out of the Zacchaeus story? I'll quote Jesus directly. Zacchaeus, come down from there. Tonight I'm going to your house to have supper. Wow, what did the Zacchaeus do? Uh, Lord, what verse? And ask me again in the original Aramaic. No. Jesus came, Zacchaeus came down immediately from the tree and, and, and brought the Lord home. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, what did he speak to her about? He spoke to her about what she worshiped and about streams of living water flowing out of her innermost being so that her tiredness from, from getting water and the husbands that she had that she could finally experience satisfaction of her soul. What about Nicodemus? What did Jesus talk to Nicodemus about? Anybody remember? You must be born again. 
We have no record in any other authorized biblical doctrine where the phrase, you must be born again, ever gets communicated to anyone else. But in the Bible Belt, what do we go up to everybody? You born again? You born again? Do you repent? It's like, well, you know, maybe leading off with repenting wasn't, wasn't best. I mean, Charlie Brown, is that the way you would go after Charlie Brown was to say, well, Charlie, you know, to be honest with you, you know, you are a screw up. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you more so. You know, but no. We see Christ speaking to each person. It's the same story. It's got repentance in it. It's got sin in it. It's got, you know, it's, it's got forgiveness in it. It's got love in it. It's got belonging in it. It's got truth. But he knew that it could only be spoken in a way in, in the language of this person. So moms, you speak in the language. Dads, are you speaking the language? Husbands and wives, are you speaking the language that your spouse can hear. Co-workers, are you speaking the language? People of different ethnicity, are you speaking a language that they, they will get and they will understand? Christmas is the celebration of the moment when the word of God came to earth and spoke in a language we all understood. Well, what language was that, Pastor Paul? You know, what, what language was that? Our language. Our language. Now, let me just say this. You, you, if you're sitting here and you say, well, the Bible should be good enough for, for him, it's like, well, God could have said the Ten Commandments should have been good enough for him. But yet, the word of God becomes flesh. The author becomes flesh. The story becomes one with the author and is lived out in front of everybody. It is time for the story to become flesh in our lives. It really is. Don't send them to the pastor. Don't send them to that church. Give them the story. It's time for us to be, you know, folks, if you're in my age group and you're like, what's wrong with these kids today? I'll tell you what's wrong with these kids today. They're just not reading the story because it's not written in enough people's lives. Well, it happened when we took prayer out of school. That's when America went to hell in a handbasket. No, it's, it's when dad decided that it was not going to be a part of his life. It's when mom decided. It's when we decided as neighbors and coworkers that we were not going to live the story. Learn the language of those around you. That's what you gotta, don't, I understand you wanna make sure you get the right present, the right cologne. I mean, I get, a, I get like a gallon bottle of Ralph Lauren or Polo every year. There it is, that blue bottle every year. It will come out of that, you know, I'll be like, yay, the same blue bottle always again, yay. That's awesome, I'll get that blue, but stop worrying about that. You really need to be concerned, are, are, is your family getting the story from you? Do, are they, is there enough threads in your life? Speak love in their language. My grandkids are here, and they'll be here through Christmas. And, and I'll tell you what, um, as awesome and wonderful as they are, 
Um, they just don't know the story of my language. So I have to speak it in their language. So for Christopher, the 13-year-old, what, what language do I learn? The language of Fortnite. The language of video games. And when I want to communicate to his heart, I'm sitting there with a controller in my hand. And I'm playing. For Pauly, when I want to spend time and communicate the Christ story to him, I don't break out a King James Bible and start taking him through the book of Isaiah, which is not a bad thing to do if he's interested in it, but I'm guessing he's not. No, it's being, standing in the front yard showing him how to throw a spiral. And he'll always remember that key point in his life when he learned how to throw a football, there was Papa. Oh, did I mention my Papa loved God? Did I mention my Papa used to preach the word of God? You know, did I mention that my papa was, was almost, you know, as good as having a gospel with you? You know, with, with Jojo, my nine-year-old granddaughter, with her, all I got to do is sit down with a paintbrush. Um, and I know some of you are like, what? The dude paints or he colors? I, at, let, let me just tell you, when you want to speak truth in the heart of somebody, you learn their language. Some of you, I do my best preaching on the end of a fishing pole. I Reeling in a fish with you, I'd get you just like that. See, we got to learn the language of the people around us. Connect your story to the one story. And as we're closing out, is your story connected to it? I know your story is connected to your bank account. I know that your story may be connected to your success at work. I know your story may be connected to your failure. I know your story may be connected to your illness. I, I know that your story may be connected to your loneliness or, or the success or failure of your family. But is your story connected to the one story? The woman in, caught in adultery, her story got connected to the one story. The woman at the well, she runs back and tells her town, come meet a man who told me everything I had ever done. Jesus didn't tell her everything she had ever done. What a hyperbole. But you know what? When you communicate that thread of Christ into a person's life, it is like you have spoken about everything in their life. God wants you and I to be read by all men and women of all kinds in this world. We don't need to change all the laws of America and make people go back to church. We don't need to force prayer back into schools. If we will all just make sure our stories are connected to his story, we're going to be okay. So let me invite you as we go into this moment of expressions. If if Christ is the present, then you are the wrapping paper. You know, if I got this, if this present showed up on my front door, what, would, what do you do when you get a present that big and wrapped like that? Come on, somebody tell me, what do you do when you see a present? You open it? What kind of woman are you? No, no, I'm only joking. That's all, that, not yet. Well, the first you pick it up, and you shake it, okay? 
Yeah, then you do this. Well, at least I do this. And I know I'm 61, but I still do it. I'll shake it this way and this way, and I'll, you know, and I'll put my ear up to it. And, it. and because the wrapping paper made me so interested, I want to know what's going on inside the box. Hey, you're wondering why your family's not interested in God? Uh, what's your wrapping paper look like? Have you wrapped it well? It's the character of your life, the story of your life. Has it, has it enveloped so much of your life, people are like, I want what you've got. Let me shake your life a little bit and see what I hear in there. Huh, I think I know what this is. It's forgiveness. It's love. This is from God, isn't it? God wants our lives to be that powerful and strong in the culture and in our families. Heavenly Fathers, we're here. You invite every one of us to reconnect our spoke to the axle. Maybe some of us have lived with broken wheels. And that's why we haven't been able to carry our families, carry our marriages through difficult times, carry our, our you know, because the spokes are no longer connected to the axle. We all have a short story but they all can be connected to something, something greater, that all the wheels of life are connected to all the power that moves us forward, and that's the story of Jesus. So Father, as we come into this place, as we receive the bread and the cup, as we eat and drink, as we receive prayer, as we worship, as we write a note, a chapter or a verse of our story and pin it to the cross. God, we reconnect. We pull on the thread of the tapestry of the story of Christ and we make it our own. We reconnect our stories to your story. Let me invite you, connect again with Christ so that people can discover the gift of God through you.